Good day to all of our investors and guests. This is the Rudd Commentary Podcast. Before I get started today, let me just take a moment to introduce myself to our new listeners who might be joining us. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'm the managing partner at Steer Wealth. We are a registered investment advisor in Fort Worth, Texas, where we manage investments for successful families, high-performing professionals, and organizations across the country. I also spend time as an adjunct professor of finance at a well-known university here in Fort Worth, Texas, Go Frogs, where I work to teach your young adult children how blessed they are to live in a time and country where they can craft their own future through intelligent risk-taking, thoughtful innovation, and yes, productive hard work. Before I get started today, let me take my listeners into the trading room for a quick market update. As many of you may have read here recently, uh, the U.S. Treasury bond was recently downgraded for the second time on August 1st to AA+. This time by Fitch. Now, Fitch is a part of the big three rating agencies that bond investors rely on for credit quality comparison. Now that both S&P and Fitch have downgraded U.S. credit, Moody's remains the holdout with the coveted AAA rating. And Moody's is also a, a pretty much a heavyweight among the rating agencies and still maintains that AAA rating going forward. So why did this happen? Just to give you a little bit of historical context, as I answer this question, upgrades and downgrades happen all the time in the bond markets, even government bonds around the world. It's you know pretty common for us to see those changes here at the firm when we're doing our research. It just doesn't happen to our own U.S. Treasury securities. In fact, the last downgrade that impacted the U.S. Treasury bond occurred back in 2011. If y'all will remember, a couple years after the 2011 financial crisis, and that was just by S&P. It was truly unprecedented in that time, and, and there was a pretty big fallout for the next couple of years, a lot of volatility in the fixed income markets and equity markets because of that. I didn't see that this time through. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, but let's go through the greatest hits and the reasons for the downgrade. In its release, Fitch focused on the governance challenge that we've all seen uh, in the papers and witnessed Akasha <laughs> all the time now, just the squabbling back and forth governance challenges by our elected officials, the debt ceiling standoff, and kind of the big elephant in the room, the rising debt to uh, GDP ratio that really is now at, at wartime levels. In fact, if you pay attention to the amount of interest that's being paid on our uh, U.S. debt, it, it's really uh, quite startling and, and going up every quarter. So that's a challenge we're definitely going to have to deal with going forward. And I don't believe that the review process for Fitch and the S&P and uh, Moody's probably more so now since they have the coveted AAA rating is over. We've got another debt ceiling standoff here in October, possibly at the end of September, beginning of October. We've got some pending interest rate increases just based on the government's uh, attempt to fight the inflation problem that we've had ever since the COVID pandemic. And just the continued poor leadership and discord in Washington that has persisted over the past decade. All these probably have a lot to do with the downgrade. And I can assure you the rating agencies are going to be watching very closely uh, going forward, even with all this blowback that they've gotten from the uh, United States government after this most recent change and the prior one back in 2011. So if I'm a bond investor, what has changed so far and, and what do I need to be aware of? So let's just cut to the chase here. The rates on U.S. Treasury bonds have increased slightly. So you have seen a little bit of upward pressure on mortgage rates also as well for the consumer and those looking to buy property, single family home, commercial buildings, et cetera. But really, that's about it. We've seen uh, a lot of bantering back and forth in Washington and finger pointing 
Uh, one of the things I always think is interesting as a, as a spectator and as a voter is how every problem that surfaces in Washington is always the, the prior administration's fault. It really doesn't matter which administration it is. I think that's in their playbook. Um, so kind of interesting there. But if I'm an investor, how is this going to impact me? So let's break that up into just two perspectives. So let's look at the short term and long term. So how is this going to impact investors in the short term? Well, probably not what you're expecting, but probably not that much. Interest rates have gone up a little bit. Uh, the U.S. Treasury bill bond notes are still the go-to for uh, safety. In fact, in the university environment that I teach in, that's the risk-free rate. That's what we use for the risk-free rate benchmark are the U.S. Treasuries. And so that's uh, been indoctrinated into investors and academics for a long, long time. And we'll probably see that continue. Um, so probably not much. The long term. So a little bit different story there. We've got some work to do. Uh, we definitely have to get government spending under control. We have to watch the interest rates. So the administrators need to continue to try to do their job and rein in that spending, close the deficit, and deal with this problem. Because as interest rates go up, we've got a lot of bonds, bills, and notes that come due on a weekly basis here in the United States. And we're going to have to deal with those uh, higher financing costs, just like Joe and Jane Smith would, buying a house, paying a credit card, uh, financing just about anything that they'd need to borrow money for. The second thing is, We've gotten in the habit over the last couple of decades of just responding to crisis with bailouts. I think that's a big concern for most investors out there and a lot of voters. We need to stop responding just by throwing money at the problem. You can see the impact that's happened over the last couple of years with inflation, with the, uh, with the massive response to COVID and, and all the STEMI checks that went out. Uh, as a business owner, I can tell you that a lot, and unfortunately, a lot of those STEMI checks did not go into hiring folks. Uh, I know that uh, around Texas here, you see a lot of new fancy cars, uh, a lot of boats, a lot of ATVs, uh, recreational vehicles, um, and unfortunately, that's where a lot of that went. And those are the places where you see a lot of the inflation too, cars, boats, uh, RVs, uh, homes, investments. So that's, that's something we definitely need to address here. Also, the low interest rate environment. When we take interest rate below the rate of inflation, it's really problematic, unfortunately, and, and encourages a lot of speculation. Folks get excited about new projects because the cost of capital is near zero. They go to the bank and they borrow money and makes the calculation real easy. That's why you saw real estate prices go up and a lot of projects uh, and speculation there. So the good thing is higher rates not only combating inflation, but should naturally put some downward pressure on some of the speculation and, and other things that come from lower interest rates. So another thing long-term that we need to work on uh, after this downgrade is just clarity on how we're going to pay for all these social programs. You know, we live in, a, in a, a large country here with a lot of folks, a lot of different voters with different ideas. And I think just coming to an agreement or a consensus uh, you know, on which social programs we're going to support, which we're going to pay for through taxes and stop you know, saddling our next uh, generation with debts that really just can't be paid for by the current tax policies. So we need to either cut social programs or raise taxes. So that's a good review with what recently happened, the Fitch downgrade of the U.S. Treasury. And just to review, as an investor, uh, short term, probably not a whole lot to change. Uh, the U.S. you know, still is the reserve currency of the world. U.S. Treasuries are still regarded as the safest investment option out there. So I don't think there's a whole lot that needs to be changed here, but very serious, I think, challenges long term. And you as investors and voters need to be aware of that and encourage uh, politicians and our elected officials to deal with those problems and to stop kicking the can down the road. So 
Let's go ahead and transition into the topic that I think will benefit you more as an investor listening to this podcast, which is how to take advantage of higher rates. Again, like we did with the U.S. Treasury downgrade that happened on August 1st, I believe it's important to look at this from a historical context. So before I jumped into the obvious, let's take a look just over the last four or five, six decades. So rates have been decreasing for a long, long time. And those of you under the age of about 40, 45 have seen just an environment of constantly decreasing interest rates. Those of you listening to the podcast that are above 40, 45, you may remember much higher rates and much higher rates for a long time. In fact, those of you above 60, 65, and even into your 70s probably took out mortgages that may have been in the double digits. So rates have been coming down for a long, long time. And so our ability to finance not just things that we buy, but business and investment has been getting easier and easier. And not only that, but the bond market has had a tremendous tailwind behind it with these falling rates. So that's extremely important just to remember and to put things into context. So we'll come back to that in just a second. Also, rates have been near zero for the last 15 years. So it's interesting when I go into class, I'll, I'll start teaching here on the 21st on Monday evenings, and I'll walk in and one of the first things we'll talk about as we get into you know trying to discuss the time value of money and, and pricing bonds and those things is just asking my students if they've ever had to pay interest, any material level of interest for anything. Uh, you know, at their age, their entire life, you know, since they've been seven or eight years old, has been one of, of zero interest rates. So really, really incredible when you put that into, into perspective. So as I said before, anyone under the age of about 40, 45 hasn't encountered a normal interest rate environment. So the cost of financing business investment the cost of cars, uh, the cost of cell phone plans, everything that's been affected has been really near zero for this entire period. So that's going to be a, a really big change now that interest rates are higher. So let's talk about that. What are some of those negative changes that have impacted all of us as interest rates have been rising? Really, the first, and, and when I think about this with our investors, we work with a lot of high performers, entrepreneurs, executives. The cost of doing business is rising. So for those of you that may have a minor in business or taken a finance class or read some investing books, we now have a cost of capital. So when we're paying to borrow money, we have to look a little harder. And let's think about the podcast we had uh, a couple of months ago with some outstanding guests in the real estate market. Over the last 20 years, it's been very easy to price a real estate deal because your cost of capital was near zero. If you can go to the bank and you can borrow at 3%, it's not real hard to make money on a rental property. And now that's changing. Uh, what we call in the real estate business cap rates, uh, investors are demanding a much higher rate of return on these investments. And when you think about that and you think about the rents that go into that, the cost of doing business is rising. So you as an investor need to look a lot harder and pull out your calculator and make sure that those investments are going to provide an adequate return on investment or ROI. Another thing that I implied uh, when we talked about the real estate investment out there is mortgage rates are rising along with housing costs. So if you're looking at purchasing a new home, uh, it may be your first home, it may be your next home, it may be an upgrade, it may be your retirement home. Um, hopefully you're not financing a retirement home. Uh, as we talk about in this office. But if you are buying a home and you are financing it, those servicing costs are increasing dramatically. And I think another thing that's surprising a lot of our investors when they are in that point in life where they're upgrading or they're buying a home are the costs to insure that asset. 
A lot of uh, investors will escrow when they finance their home, and so their taxes and insurance will be held in an escrow account. So it's basically a part of their payment. Those costs are going up too, because as the cost of the underlying asset is rising, the cost to insure that is increasing dramatically. So let's move into the investment environment. Rising interest rates also puts downward pressure on bond prices. And a lot of you may have read and remember from school that bond prices and interest rates move in opposite directions. And basically, I can break that down very simply into, you know, if you've taken out or you have a 5% tax-free bond and interest rates are going up, and now new bonds are being issued at 6%, just to be direct, and nobody wants your bond anymore. So you're going to have to discount your price on your 5% bond below its face value to get anybody to buy it if you have to get out of it. Now, of course, you don't have to sell it, but the point is we've had this nice tailwind and this rising tide of values in our bond portfolios for about four and a half decades. And so something to consider is all you bond investors or retirees out there, you've got a little bit of a headwind now. And the first uh, six months or so were a pretty dramatic headwind. As we like to say in this office, we'll see what Jerome Powell, or as we like to call him in this office, Jerome Powerful, uh, does at the next Fed meeting. But if the pace of interest rate slows, hopefully that headwind uh, won't be as dramatic going forward. Just to summarize that, negative impact is the cost of doing business, mortgage rates, general rates are rising, rising bond prices have pretty much stalled. Uh, so we're going to have to just keep that in mind going forward. And the last is the opportunity cost for idle cash is now material. It now matters. And this is a good segue into what I wanted to get into for the rest of this podcast today. You can now get interest on your serious savings in the bank. So those of you who have been holding enormous amounts of cash over the last probably decade and a half, and there really hasn't been an opportunity cost now, it's, you know, you, you've got uh, interest rates at a lot of these banks that'll pay you 3 and, and 4%. I mean, heck, we can get in U.S. Treasury bonds in excess uh, of uh, 5% on the short-term uh, T-bills that are coming due on a, you know, on a weekly basis. So now you have an opportunity cost. When you add to that now the, the fact that inflation is much higher and that idle cash sitting in your bank account is now being eroded by a much higher inflation component, it's very compelling to take a good hard look at how much cash you're holding in your savings account and start thinking about how you can earn a little bit more off of that cash and make that cash productive. So let's talk a little bit about that. How can investors take advantage of this? First, simple. Just check the rates that you're earning on your series savings. A lot of the big name banks out there, the ones that you hear all the time, the largest out there, you may be surprised that they're just not paying a whole lot to their investors in their savings. I come across big name banks every week. Our investors are telling us that their rates are still sub 1%. That's just unacceptable in this environment. It's very easy to go out and get an interest rate in the 2, 3, 4% range in a FDIC-insured bank account and earn some interest off of your serious savings. And you can get much higher than that in the U.S. Treasury market, which I'll talk about in just a second. So the second and a very easy thing that you can do as just a regular account holder at a bank is just take a look at a higher yield savings account and also uh, possibly even a certificate of deposit. I know a lot of the banks have been very aggressive with their CD rates trying to compete 
now that rates are rising. So that's definitely an option that's available, especially at some of the credit unions and regional banks, which may pay a little more than some of the larger banks do. So the last option I have for you is very simple, and a lot of investors don't know it exists. Firms like ours with an active trading desk, I know there aren't many, especially here in Fort Worth, but we have access to the treasury market and step into the treasury market on a weekly basis and can get government-guaranteed securities such as T-bills, treasury notes, and treasury bonds at very competitive rates. Right now, the short-term rates as of this recording are in the the low to, uh, to mid fives, which can be very compelling for a lot of investors. And I think in the past, you know, we've been indoctrinated to think that interest-bearing securities come from the bank, you know, through certificate of deposit. More recently, uh, money market funds. Those of you who have over $100,000 in cash can usually find an institution that can go out into the financial markets and can uh, gain access to uh, government-issued T-bills, treasury notes, and treasury bonds. I would encourage you that if you don't have experience or you don't have a lot of knowledge on that type of investment, please give a firm like ours a call. We can definitely explore some of those options for you and see if getting a little bit higher interest rate on that serious savings uh, makes sense for you. So I do want to run through just some more advanced ways that some of our uh, more sophisticated investors might consider taking advantage of some of these higher rates. Floating rate securities, short term, obviously, and, and secured is my preference. History suggests that floating rate securities uh, of the short term and secured variety have typically performed better in markets like this rising rates environment. So that could be an option for some of our sophisticated investors. Also, in this type of an environment, you definitely want to increase the quality of your investment portfolio. Uh, Just some examples of that. I know uh, I keep referencing back to the uh, real estate podcast we had uh, a couple of months ago. While I do agree with our progress that you should never aggressively try to time the market and sell assets, there's absolutely no reason you shouldn't consider upgrading the quality of your portfolio in environments like this. And what I mean was just like any stock or bond that quality may have fallen over the holding period, you should consider that with other investments that you have as well. Let's take real estate. The neighborhood has kind of gone downhill. You're having trouble getting investments. There's provisions in the tax code that allow you to transfer the equity in one property to a next without recognizing a capital gain in certain circumstances. So I would definitely encourage you that if you have some lower performing or lower quality assets in your portfolio, be it stocks, bonds, real estate, other types of business interest, consider selling or liquidating the lower quality assets and transitioning that equity into higher quality assets as well. That's extremely important during a market like this. So I think lastly, we should answer the question that I get a lot is how much should investors keep in their bank savings accounts? And really the answer is it depends on your situation. So all of us here who have Googled on the internet and we have read a lot of the more popular financial planning books over the years, the answer is six months, right? That's what we all hear. You know, you should keep six months of uh, not uh, income, but six months of expenses in a savings account just in case. Well, I'm going to push back on that and tell you it really depends. In my experience over the last 20 plus years as an advisor to higher performing families and entrepreneurs is it really depends on your job. Let me give you an example. If I am a in a in a very stable career as a registered nurse or a registered nurse anesthetist, one of our favorite clients that we specialize in here at the firm, and my position is in very high demand and I'm very good at my job, I may not have to hold as much cash 
than someone that's in the social media industry or, I mean, more importantly, the film industry right now, right? They're all on strike. So that's something that you really need to craft based on your situation in life. So I would say that if you're in a, a less stable job, six months probably isn't enough. You should probably keep a little more than uh, six months expenses in your savings account. But if you're a high-performing entrepreneur, you're in a great industry, uh, you have a great brand, and you run your business in a conservative manner, you probably don't need to keep six months of expenses in your checking account or your savings account. Put that money to work. You know, Put it in a high-yield savings, put it in a CD, or call us, and we'll be happy to share some of the rates that are currently available in the treasury market. So just to remember, cash gives you the ability to respond and not react uh, in challenging markets, but also in times of opportunity. It's, it's a trade-off. So the more cash you hold, the better you sleep at night, and the more conservative you are, you may feel better, especially in times of adversity. But you can always miss opportunities uh, that come up if you don't deploy cash. But cash is very important in its ability to avoid stress and give you the ability to respond to opportunities. So I think that's a, a good run through of uh, rates, where we stand today and how to take advantage of those. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. Thank you all for taking the time to listen today. If you enjoyed this episode or learned something new, please take time to rate our podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your preferred podcast platform and never miss an episode. Also, if you know other investors that would enjoy the show, please share the Red Commentary podcast through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at Steer Wealth would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for your trust. Thank you for allowing us to be your partner in your long-term financial journey. We take this role very seriously. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Red Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at Steer Wealth, invest long and prosper. The Red Commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes an offer to sell or solicitation for any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company, DBA, Steer Well, are opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Steer Wealth or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply Steer Wealth's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.